Hey everyone. Do you want to get inspired? I want to get inspired. Let's everybody just get inspired. Miracle Mondays. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Miracle Monday. We're on episode four. This one is called Miracle Mom. Derek is also with us. He'll be conversing, I guess, conversing with us here about this. <laughs> Hello. There he is. There's Derek. Looking good. Feeling fly. Right, Derek? I'm not sure about that, but <laughs> I'm here nonetheless. He's here. He's a, he's a participant to this. So this week we're going to talk about a miracle mom. Apparently this was like a really big deal and big case um, in 2015, I never heard about it, but apparently it was in like the Washington Post, um, like all the major like news pl- places and stuff like that. And I, but I must have missed it or I, I don't remember it. So maybe, maybe some of you guys will know about it or have heard about it, but I, I haven't. What year was this? 2015. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't sound familiar to me. Well, I haven't told you about it. Well, I mean, I gave you a brief overview, I guess, before we clicked record, but. Yeah, I, I don't remember this, but maybe something will jog your memory or some of you guys will know. I'm not sure. But anyway, September 23rd, 2015, a 40-year-old uh, pregnant expecting mother uh, goes to Boca Raton Regional Hospital in Florida for a um, routine C-section. Her name is Ruby. I'm going to, I'm going to butcher. I'm terrible at this. I don't know why I pick things where I just straight up can't say the words or the names of people, but I do. Ruby Gropera Casimiro. Here, you read, you, you know Spanish language. You read her name. Ruby Gropera Casimiro. Okay. So I didn't do too bad. I did pretty good there. So she goes there for a routine C-section, which first of all, she's 40 years old. That's, I mean, her even being pregnant, I wouldn't say it's a miracle or anything, but it's unlikely. Usually it's harder and harder around that age to, to get pregnant. Actually, I think it's like 37 or 38 is kind of like the, like the cutoff age for getting pregnant. Um, this is her first child? No, I think it's her, I want to say it's her second, possibly her third, but I think it's, I think it's her second. I think she's got an older son from some of the pictures and stuff that I've seen. Um, so already right there, she's, she's a slightly older, um, expectant mother. I mean, I guess my grandma, she had my mom when she was 41, which seemed to me seems crazy because I'm 33 and I have two kids. One is turning 13 this weekend and one's eight. So in my brain, that seems like, I don't know. I don't think that I could handle having a kid at that age. I would be a little bit of a challenge. Right. Like I'm already dog ass tired every day now like I couldn't imagine then I guess um so she goes in for a routine c-section which that's something I want to bring up too like why are c-sections so routine nowadays like that's already I mean everyone you talk to has probably had one not everybody I guess because I do have well no I guess she had one too but I was gonna say almost all of my friends have had c-sections I've had both of mine were c-sections one was unplanned and one was planned. Anyone out there listening uh, who has no kids and is younger, uh, the second you are pregnant and you go to the hospital, first thing they want to do is find out if you have any problems, uh, if there's anything that's going to hinder you from having natural birth. 
and the whole time they're basically steering you to get a c-section because a c-section is extremely easy for them and it involves surgery so not only do you have the whole nursing team including a midwife or whoever but you're also going to have the surgeon which that's way more expensive than having natural birth so it's almost like they're pushing you into having a c-section yeah because like even if you um I'm pretty sure one of my friends went in and kind of like you said, like they kind of skim you over for pre-existing anything. And she had like a history of like high blood pressure. And so they basically, you know, sold her on the idea of a C-section based on high blood pressure, which so, I mean, it could lead to needing a C-section, but like, why not even just let them try first? But I was reading that on an average... There are 10,000 babies born a day and a third, so that's just under three and a half thousand are C-sections or planned, sorry, planned C-sections. So that now that's not including like all of them. That's, those are just the planned ones, which seems kind of nuts to me. Like when I was having my son, I was really sick and he was really early, but I, I had preeclampsia very badly and they even, they did let me try um, you know, to have him. I mean, they induced me and everything, but they did let me try to go into labor and have him naturally, even with preeclampsia. With my blood pressure was like through the roof. They even had a crash cart in my hospital room because they, I mean, my numbers were so high that they thought were like shocked that I hadn't already stroked out at that point, just walking in there before labor. So, which seems crazy to me that they even let me try, but they did. A crash cart is the thing they bring in is if you're about to die or gonna die. Yeah, or they suspect it. So they have, like, the paddles to shock you back to life. They have uh, quick stuff to, like, intubate you, which is sticking a tube down your throat. It's probably, like, naloxone or uh, whatever that other stuff is. Yeah, they've got all kinds of stuff on there to essentially, like, an immediate um, bring you back to life scenario cart. So I just thought that was kind of crazy. And it also said that um, one of the articles that I read that c-section spike around breakfast lunch and dinner time so think about that that's probably a doctor you know he's like well it's about lunchtime i'm just gonna do this because i don't want her to go into labor while or you know have to go and catch the baby or whatever right when i'm in lunch so i'm just gonna do it right before lunch or right before breakfast or right before dinner which i thought was crazy too but yeah we're talking about convenience time and money over you know natural cost-saving, literally what you're supposed to do. You know what I mean? That seems crazy, but I know a lot of people who do want to go in for convenience purposes only, and it doesn't seem like they really care. And I actually read another article that said, depending on the hospital, their percentages of C-sections range from 7 to 70%. Can you imagine being at a hospital that 70% of their births are C-sections? That seems crazy to me. Doesn't that seem crazy? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, everything has been turned into nothing natural. Everything is the opposite of the way it should be. Right. It is. And like when we were having our daughter, I mean, we could have theoretically had a had a VBAC, which is a vaginal delivery after a C-section, but none of our hospitals around here did them. So we would have had to drive like over an hour. It was over an hour. Because yeah, it, was, it would have been Rochester. So it would have been over an hour just to go there to have one and then they're like well then you could you could still end up having to have a c-section so it was like okay well and, fine whatever and those aren't supported by the hospital system so you usually have to pay at least half up front for 
for that to happen as opposed to a C-section is covered by insurance at a regular hospital. So if you have a, if you want to have a natural birth after you've had a C-section, you're most likely going to have to go to a midwife slash doula natural birthing center, which is not supported by insurance most of the time, which right. means you're going to have to pay like $4,000 up yeah, front. Yeah, we, we looked into that actually in the next Because to have a natural over. birth is about $8,000 as opposed to a C-section, which could be like $30,000. Roughly, yeah. So, you know, obviously they would rather you have a C-section money-wise than a natural birth. And a natural birth can take anywhere from three hours to five days. I mean, who knows right. how long depends. you're going to be laboring. That's a lot of uh, staff they're going to have to have. Um, so it's just uh, the money outweighs, the money and the time outweighs the willingness the of right. them to wanting to do a um, natural birth as opposed to a C-section. So, anyway, I guess back to the story here. She goes in, she has a successful and routine C-section. I'm not sure why she had this routine C-section. I'm not sure if, you know, previously she'd had a C-section or if she was in the same situation we were where she'd have to go somewhere really far to, to try to have a V-back or, or what the situation was. But regardless... She has a successful and routine C-section when suddenly she starts having trouble breathing and eventually she just quits breathing. So the doctors try to resuscitate her for a good uh, three hours. So she's not breathing at all during this time. So three hours of no breathing. They're, you know, working on her during CPR, um, paddles, the works. Because eventually her heart quits too. So eventually... Her, she's without a pulse for 45 minutes. How did this come about? After she was done with the C-section? After she's done with C-section. I'll get into that a little bit more here in a second. Um, but yeah, so she's without oxygen for three hours and without a pulse for 45 minutes. Uh, and the doctors are working on her. Doctor, again, I'm with the names. Sorry, guys. I just, I'm terrible with names, apparently. Doctor Chatty Lutfi? Uh, He said in an interview for ABC News, there was no pulse, no blood pressure, and the patient was not breathing on her own. Uh, They then placed her on a ventilator. Um, A ventilator is like a machine that they stick down your throat that breathes for you. So it it, um, inhales and exhales for you uh, so your lungs don't have to do anything. Essentially keeping oxygen at least going through your blood, you know, so if in the case that you did have... uh, brain waves at some point your your heart and everything else would still be alive isn't it true that the majority of people that are put on ventilators never recover after that have you ever, do you have you ever heard that no actually i maybe there's a difference but like when i worked um at the one nursing home we had plenty of ventilator patients they lived on them all the time well were they in coma or no. brain dead no we had some that were perfectly fine i mean they just Don't you have to breathe be in there. intubated to be? Uh, yeah, but uh, this thing right here, you know how they in sometimes in movies they'll give you a tracheotomy and they'll slit that little oh, yeah. hole in your throat. Uh-huh. That's how they're intubated. Oh. it's not through their mouth. So they can still talk. Sort of. It's not easy for them to talk, but hmm. sort of. But typically, if you're going to live on a ventilator, that's what they do. They don't intubate your mouth. They cut oh. that hole in your throat, okay. and you have a tube that goes in that way. Um, so there's probably a slight different machine or or way that it you know does what it does for you so no that's that's not 
at least in my experience, that's not true. If I had, I if I had to look at the stats, it could be different, but I, I don't know. I just remember hearing on No Agenda they were talking about the a lot of the COVID patients that they put on ventilators died. Well, okay, <laughs> because... that's different though. That they're basing that on COVID patients only. If you're looking at everybody who's ever been on a ventilator, that's probably different. Yeah, and I guess if you have pneumonia or something, it's probably not wise to put you on a ventilator while you're laying down. Well, that's, so that's, okay, side note, because COVID is bullshit, whatever, anyway. Anytime you have any lung, anything, you do not want to lay down. That's why, like, even me, I had a 12-hour surgery, any surgery, actually, that I've had. I've had eight surgeries, and every single time, I sit up for days afterwards. I'll sleep sitting up, because especially if you have a surgery and especially if it's any significant amount of time, they intubate you whether you know it or not. Um, and that will have you kind of like coughing up stuff just because it, it, it you know, it goes into your lungs and it uh, jostles stuff around in there and loosens things up. So I never lay down after a surgery or even certain illnesses. I, I won't lay down. I'll sleep sitting up and everything because you have to get that stuff out. If you don't, it leads to pneumonia. So all this stuff about COVID and them putting you in the hospital and putting having patients lay down is just ridiculous. Like I remember seeing an article and they had all these patients like uh, intubated and laying down. Why would you do that? Yeah, I mean, I mean gonna... that's common sense. <laughs> that's not even a, I don't know. That just blows yeah, my I mean, mind. It's almost like smothering your lungs with fluid, right, it, right? Yeah, but that's my point. Is to me, it should be common sense for anyone, not just doctors and nurses, to know this. But anyone to know that anything messes with your lungs like that, illness, uh, surgery with intubation, any of that stuff, you need to sit up until all that shit is out of your lungs and hack it up and whatever. You have to, or it leads to pneumonia. And pneumonia can kill you just like anything else can kill you. So sit up. Because I remember my one nurse who, she'd come in all the time and be like, do you want me to lay you back down? I'm like, no, I did this for a reason. Leave me alone. You know, but they don't think like that. They don't think long term. And, and why would they care? Because it'll lead to more care for you, which leads to more money for them. And yeah. you know what I mean? So it's just a longer process. Anyway, sorry about my rant. It just, it pisses me off that A, most people don't know that. And B, most hospital staff do know that, but they just like don't care or tell people. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it pisses me off. Anyway, so she's intubated and they... Uh, realize or at least the doctors think anyway that she's not gonna recover from this so they uh start calling the family to like come and see her and like say their goodbyes because she's got no brain waves no pulse no nothing at this point and as they're calling people back her heart starts to beat it picks up on the monitor that her heart is slowly starting to pick back up um she actually ends up making a full recovery and she says in an interview with ABC News that she got a peek into the afterlife. So this is this is her quote from her interview. I remember seeing a spiritual being who I believe was my dad. I remember the light behind him and many other spiritual beings. I wasn't walking. I was kind of flowing. It was peaceful. I mean, there was nothing to be afraid of. At one point, it was almost like a force. It was like you're not going any further. This is it, and you know that's when I understood you're not going to stay here. You're not. This is just a little bit. You're going to go back. It's not your time. So that's kind of cool, I guess. I mean, I read in another article, too, that she talks about a 
like that what everybody else talks about, like the light tunnel and whatever. But it sounds like as she's like flowing along, she's seeing, you know, obviously what she thinks is her dad and then these other people like along this tunnel as she's going through it. And then she talks about how there is, it was almost like a force was pulling her backwards, like, and, and telling her like, no, it's not your time. Like she could just sense that and she could feel that uh, happening along this. And Dr. Chatty says, this is something we don't see. He's never seen it personally. So that's pretty cool. Like to think that, you know, a doctor's never seen this happen. And the reason why he, he says this is because later on, after the fact, they realize that what they think happened was something called um, an amniotic fluid embolism, which is extremely rare. It is where the amniotic fluid somehow, like, I don't know how to explain this. Somehow the amniotic fluid gets into your bloodstream and that goes through, the courses through your bloodstream and because it's amniotic fluid, it does something and, and starts a clot. And so it'll, it'll clot and like, clog wherever it is and it usually will go to your heart and clog clog an artery in your heart essentially like immediately almost mm -hmm. um and apparently it's extremely rare for it to happen anyway uh but it's even more rare for someone to live through it um because it essentially gives you a blood clot and leads to cardiac arrest which is just a fancy term for a heart attack she woke up without any brain damage and again, I think, isn't it like three minutes technically without oxygen? You, um, yeah, like you, you three start to have brain to you start five to have minutes brain. or so three to, we'll just say that tentatively. So three to five minutes without oxygen leads to brain damage. She had no oxygen for three hours. However, they did intubate her. I don't know how long, like how long into the process of life-saving uh, attempts they did that. But from the sounds of it, from, like, Dr. Chatty said, this is just something we don't see. So, obviously, he's already thinking, like, you know, it's abnormal. So, in my guess, that would be, like, him saying, like, she was definitely without oxygen for quite some time. Um, even before they decided to, to ventilate her and give her oxygen again. Um, so, so, no oxygen, or no brain damage. She had no broken ribs from chest compressions, which they typically say that if you don't break a rib, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Or you're not doing it hard enough. But they did this for three hours and multiple people joined in and like took turns trying. So it seems strange that none of them did it right. You know what I mean? Like, and for that amount of time too. Yeah. Um, and she had no burns from the shock paddles. And they shocked, they shocked her heart to try to revive her. So the shock paddles are those things that, you know, in the movies and TV where they rub them together and then they're like clear and they stick them on your chest and you jolt. And they're, so basically they're trying to get your heart back into a rhythm again to start pumping. Yeah. Um, defibrillator machine. Defibrillator, yep. So they did that to her four or five times and she had no burns from it, which is crazy. Well, you shouldn't have burns if you put jelly on and you put the the pads on. It shouldn't yeah, give you theoretically, burns. but if you do it, like, yeah, if you do it, like, once or twice, but you redo it that many times, apparently it's fairly common for you to get burns from this thing. Hmm. Even with the jelly. The jelly obviously helps, but from you doing it, because you're doing it, you have to do it in, like, specific locations, too. I mean, I know that, I don't know how it is in the hospital, because I haven't seen, like, I've never seen the actual paddles before. I've only seen the defibrillator machines 
that we have like in nursing homes or sometimes they'll even be out in the, or the AED machines yeah. that they have out. It's like a little kit and in there it'll, I mean, it's not rocket science. It'll literally show you picture by picture, but you take these little tiny sticky pads and you'll put one, um, under your, so like from underneath your left arm, go down to your like lower rib cage. You'll put one on their side down there. You put one, I think on your right chest and then there's one other one that goes somewhere. I can't remember where the other one goes. So I don't know if they use those or if they literally use like the ones in the movies. I would assume they use like the ones in the movies. But I've never physically seen them myself. Yeah. I've only seen the like AED kits where they have the sticky pads that'll do it. So yeah. But it apparently if they're talking, I mean if they're talking about it this way, that they, she woke up without any burns. Obviously someone anticipates her to have had them. Yeah. But she didn't. Especially after four to five times of them shocking her and, and getting nothing in return. You never know what electricity is going to do, though. I've been shocked so many times with no burns at all. You know, right. like Yeah, but you're not probably shocks. not getting this type of voltage directly to your chest either, you know. Yeah. But I, I, anyway, I'm not sure. But apparently, you know, somebody thought it was important enough to write about. Yeah. And obviously, whoever's writing about it heard it from... A doctor, someone involved that obviously was shocked as well. So I guess, in my opinion, just based on reading it on multiple websites, that them bringing it up was probably somewhat significant, I guess. So, but anyway, her waking up regardless is already a miracle in in, in and of itself, you know. So how long after the C-section was over that she just suddenly stopped breathing and everything? So, not that long. How long did it take you... How long did it take them to get me, like, sewn back up? Probably, like, half hour, yeah, 45 minutes, something, something like that? Something like that. Um, so, she was getting wheeled back to her room at that point. She Her last memory before uh, being wheeled to the recovery room was asking someone for a Kleenex or a tissue because she felt that she had a stuffy nose. So, that's when she had started complaining, basically, them noticing... That she was struggling to breathe a little bit and had having trouble breathing and whatever. And then she said that it just felt as if she fell asleep. So that's the last thing she remembers is asking someone for a Kleenex and thinking she was like falling, getting tired and feeling like she was falling asleep. So apparently her losing oxygen was causing her to be drowsy and, and drift off to, to sleep. She says now that she does not fear death. And this is a quote from... From her from one of her interviews is I realized through all of this that one we really don't have control of our lives the day you go is the day you are destined to go so I think that's pretty pretty awesome so like now that she's experienced this and get has been given this glimpse into what's beyond like she's lost all fear of of death and dying and and whatnot I thought that was kind of a cool thing and, and a lot of people do say that too like there's nothing to fear you know anyone who's had like near-death experiences typically says those things that yeah they, that there there was it was peaceful and calm and you know, welcoming essentially you know yeah that does cool. seem to be a similar occurrence between people with uh, near-death experiences yeah for the most part i i was listening to a, a podcast a while back and they were talking about near-death experiences and how there was um, hardly any uh, explanations or um, like stories of people talking about 
bad things. Uh, very, very few people talking about like uh, the devil or something scary happening mm -hmm. or like uh, going to hell or any sort of like... I uh, have actually read one. I don't remember if it was a true crime one or what it was, but it was years ago. I read something about um, a guy having some sort of brush with death. I don't know if he was the victim. I don't know. I don't know exactly what it was, um, but he had talked about having a really scary, like, after, like, near-death experience type of situation. And with that type of thing, you have to wonder, like, is that your wake-up call? Is, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. for me, with my anxiety, I feel like cancer was a huge, like, wake-up call for me. You know, get your life back on track, whatever. Yeah. Maybe that was, like, their wake-up call. And, like, hey, man, if you don't change your ways, like, this is this is what you're looking at, you know? Or why is it that people some people do have any scary uh, near-death experiences because most of them yes are are pretty positive pretty positive and life-changing life in, in a positive in, way right so like why why do some people have bad ones i just wondered that if that's maybe why we should uh try to get a, a book um i know there's that one author that i was listening to he was a author of a book about uh, near-death experiences we should try to get one and go through some of those that would probably be pretty interesting to try to correlate the experiences to see what the majority of them are the similarities the seeing a white light and all that type of stuff yeah we could we could definitely do like a um kind of a mashup thing of, of comparisons of people's near-death experiences just to see the correlations and the differences and and whatnot and just go from there because i also listened to this other um podcast they were talking sim very similar thing mm -hmm. but they were coming from a, a biblical like christian uh standpoint mm -hmm. and they were they were saying that almost all of the experiences that they um had come into contact with or uh written down were all like jesus something to do with jesus like they literally saw jesus or what they assumed was jesus like no one um was saying that they saw like muhammad or mm -hmm. whatever so I, even I, people of other cultures yeah yeah so i thought that was kind of interesting or interesting. weird uh so but then on that podcast or another one after that they were talking about how who knows is that that could just be that one author just with their the bias that they have but i don't know you know we'd have to read the books to yeah definitely, we could definitely to figure out because that is interesting like and thinking about it too it's like i don't know if i've ever heard anyone saying like like say someone who's muslim or um go uh, is islam islam that they die having near-death experiences and they're like suddenly right with that's 72 true virgins. i've actually i've you never I mean? yeah i've never heard that either so yeah that's a good point yeah, we should definitely look into that. Which that author was trying to explain that that's was proof that, you know, Jesus is real and uh, that's the true uh, path. Um, right. But, you know, who knows? But I just found it in interesting and it got me thinking too. I don't know if I've ever heard of anyone saying that they experienced, like they met Buddha or they met Shiva or... Yeah, that's what true. I, I can't think of one instance where that's happened either. But I have read things like um, people who are maybe scared of death possibly do see typically family members 
and stuff first so they like feel a sense of welcoming and comfort you know along along their journey or whatever i have i have heard stuff like that before though too one thing that also kind of freaked me out about um the seeing your family members thing that same author the one that was talking about Christ, uh, christianity mm-hmm. was saying that it's uh can be a dangerous game that he was also like a paranormal paranormal normal like i wouldn't say an exorcist per se but he would go help people who were claiming to have paranormal experiences in their house and having crazy dreams and stuff Mm-hmm. And he was saying that these entities, the possibly demonic, scary, evil entities, um, would basically do anything to trick you into letting that entity in so that you would, um, then they would just either possess you or just fuck with you uh, for a long time. Oh, yeah, I've heard like, that stuff too. So they would trick you that you're their your dead grandma or mm-hmm. whatever, and the next thing you know... They just totally take over your house mm-hmm. and just cause hell on earth, you know. Right. So I thought that was kind of interesting too, you know. But it is who knows? Interesting, but no, thank you. Yeah. Not today, fake dead grandma. No, thank you. Yeah, it's kind of scary to think about because you that would kind of totally disarm you that you're oh man, it's grandma. But little did you know that it's not. Or people messing around with Ouija boards and stuff like that. Yeah. Hey, side note: don't touch Ouija boards. Don't do it. No. Don't mess around with Ouija boards. Just don't do it. Or anything. Don't you know? Don't mess around with uh, stuff like that. Yeah, especially if you don't know what you're doing. Don't. Well, first of all, Ouija boards are just a straight no. Everything else, proceed with caution. Or if you're not an expert, just let their experts do it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, she made a full recovery. Uh, she ended up having a baby girl. She named Tylee, and they both are doing good and made full recoveries. So, I thought that was a pretty interesting wild ride because i mean you know she and that was the other thing too that she didn't have any complications with her pregnancy even though she was like a typical like old you know older mom perfect pregnancy perfect c-section everything went smoothly and then this just happens it's Hmm. crazy yeah that's weird it's glad that she made it and that and that her baby and her baby's okay and everything that she you know she very could have easily uh, with the situation, a just died. Uh, and Went to a coma or coma or vegetable. or been yeah. I was gonna say or be a complete um, vegetable Catatonic. or yeah or just you know have complete brain damage. So, I mean, she's a, definitely a lucky woman. Must have been a miracle, I guess. Must have been a miracle. <laughs> and she says something at the end of one of her interviews. I I I'm, don't quote me because it's I I don't remember exactly what it said. I didn't write that one down, but. She just said, you know, I'm just an ordinary woman, but I guess it just wasn't my time. And, you know, someone out there might have deserved it more than me, but there's obviously a reason that I'm here. So something to that effect. But, I mean, she's right. Maybe she's got something pretty important to do, you know? Must have. Well, that's good. That's uh, uplifting that there. you never know what's going to happen. And uh, maybe if it's not your time, maybe you'll stay around. And Mm -hmm. even if it is your time... Maybe it's not that bad. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I think positive. people need to remember to use their time wisely. Like, everybody just assumes we have tomorrow, we have next week, we have next month, we have next year. Uh, not necessarily. So, do those things you want, you know? Like, I know life is stressful and you have to work and you have to do all this bullshit that nobody ever wants to fucking do. And you need more money, you need this. But you know what? Fucking spend the money. 
I mean, it's fucking paper. I mean, you need to live now while you can. And, you know, you could literally get into an accident tomorrow and die or, you know, be completely paralyzed. Who knows what? So live while you can. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, nobody ever regrets uh, finishing up. Wish they could have finished, put that last uh, nail in or yeah. uh, got that last bit of work done. They regret g- getting their last bit of life in with their family. Right, yeah. Actually, I was just talking to um, my one stepdad today, and he said that he's retiring, and he's just so excited about it. He's like, I'm finally, uh, what did he say? He said something to the effect of like, my time has been served and now I'm free or something like that. But you know what I mean? Like you have to work till you're 60 some years old. That that sucks, you know? Well, if you find a job you love, you'll never work day in your life. Oh, shut <laughs> up. Supposedly. All that. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Most cliche thing in the world. <laughs> but. Also, that other yeah. thing, you know, just find a thousand people that are willing to pay you a hundred dollars a year and a hundred thousand dollars a year. There you go. Yeah. Uh, that's all we need. <laughs> so that's the goal. Please pay us, we're poor. (laughs) Anyway, uh, that's the story as we know it. Uh, Tune in next Monday for another Miracle Monday. Um, You can email us at dtdimension at protonmail.com. And if you have your own miracle that you'd like us to read aloud, feel free to type out your story or just let us know if you want to come on and we'll uh, talk to you about it. So... You can find our podcast on uh, Spotify, Apple, any of the podcast players. Our website is doublethoughtdimension.com. You can go to our website and donate uh, if you would like. We're a value-for-value operation, so we do everything for free. Uh, Although we had to pay um, to host the podcast. We had to pay, you know, then we also got to pay, but with time by doing all this. Uh, So if you feel like you've received anything from listening... Feel free to pay if you want or to send in a letter or send in whatever. That's fine. Uh, no problems. We like doing it. Uh, so that's our main thing. Um, so, yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, DoubleThoughtDimension.com. Uh, one last thing. Don't forget to check out the Instagram. I'll post a picture of Ruby and her little girl, Tylee, who are doing well. DT underscore Miracle Monday at Instagram. Also, we'd like to thank... Our number one fan, Chelsea. Chelsea! (laughs) Woo! Alright, thanks guys. See you next week. Goodbye. Hey everyone. Do you want to get inspired? I want to get inspired. Let's everybody just get inspired. Miracle Miracle Monday.